0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to James, the first chapter. James chapter 1 is where we're going to begin in just a moment. We're going to read a couple of verses there that will uh, very well establish the things that we want to talk about today from the Word of God. And so get your Bibles cranking. We'll be in a lot of different passages today, Old and New Testament. And so you'll be helped tremendously by following along in the Scriptures with me. I'm so thankful for this beautiful day that the Lord has granted to us and I'm thankful for the opportunity to present to you some things from the Word of God that I hope will be timely and relevant and helpful to you uh, in a very practical sort of way. I think that will be the case today as we work together beginning in James the first chapter. Read with me in verses 19 and 20 where James says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That passage seems to be very much needed in our country right now, doesn't it? Every day on the news we are treated to and we are shown on full display the anger of man and how it does not produce the righteousness of God. For the last couple of weeks, there has been so much anger and hostility in our land as protests continue all across the nation in response to the death of George Floyd at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer. And while I too am angry over what happened to that man as well as what happens in all of the other injustices that occur in our land just day after day after day, it has been alarming though to see what anger has produced in cities all over America these past couple of weeks. What began maybe as peaceful protesting has become full-scale rioting with violence and vandalism and looting and destruction and even more murder. I've watched the video clips. I know that you have as well. I've seen the images on my screen and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I have been absolutely aghast at the things that have been taking place all across the country. I can't just even imagine and believe that people can be filled with so much rage and so much hostility that it would cause them to do such terrible and atrocious things. How can people allow their emotions to get so out of control and yet even as I sit back and I look at the anger of others I then have to realize that at the end of the day I'm really no different no I've never ransacked a department store no I've never physically assaulted a police officer but I do know what it's like to see red I do want to know what it's like to have the anger of man And to allow that to go unchecked. I know what it's like to explode whenever somebody cuts me off in traffic. I'm all too familiar with lashing back at someone when they offer criticism of something that I've done. And I must sadly confess as well that I am guilty of raising my voice in anger at my wife over even the most petty kinds of things. Anger is a strong emotion. But let's be honest, to some degree, it feels good. It does. It feels good to just give full vent to anger. We get that adrenaline coursing through our veins and there's just this indescribable sensation that comes from unleashing all of that all at once. Especially whenever we see that anger kind of causes people to fall in line. It gets people to do what we want them to do. There's power in that. Which means that whenever I want to get my way, well, all I need to do is press the red button, press the anger button. That'll get some results. I'll scare people into respecting me. Well, hold on just a moment there. Let's just back up for a second. Is that what the Bible would call for us to do? Is that how the people of God are to conduct themselves in this world? Just blowing up? Just giving full vent to the anger of man any time and every time we choose? Absolutely not. I believe the Lord calls us to a higher standard. That we are to get a grip on our emotions. That we are to rule anger and not allow it to rule us. This morning I do want to talk for just a few minutes about how to master the emotion of anger. And this morning as we do that, I do want to be thoroughly scriptural in the things that I have to say. And at the same time, I want to be very, very practical about the things that I'm going to offer so that by the end of our study today, you and I will be better equipped to deal with this powerful emotion in a godly way. Are you ready for that? Let's just begin that by talking about a few things that that we just need to remember about anger. Whenever we're angry, there's just some things we need to be mindful of. And let's just start with this fact. And that is that number one, anger, anger is very addictive. Can I just put the microscope back on that adrenaline rush thing that I talked about a moment ago? You know, scientists have done a really good job of understanding what happens whenever we get angry. Anger stimulates the left side of the brain. That's the side of our brain that controls our emotions. And what our body does is, our body reacts to anger in much the same way that it does when it reacts to stress. You start breathing heavily. And because of that, the heart starts beating faster which means it's pumping more oxygen, more sugar, more adrenaline into our bloodstream. Our muscles, they begin to tense. Our arteries begin to tense up. Our blood pressure, it starts to rise. Our body is preparing itself for some kind of action. Incidentally, when all of that happens, did you know this? You actually get improvement in your peripheral vision. That's right. When you get angry, your eyes begin to narrow and you can actually see better from the side. I guess that's just in case you get attacked, not just from the front, but you're ready to fight what's going on on the sides. And as I said a moment ago, all of that, that can feel really good. Seeing people cower in front of you in fear, exerting your will on others to get your way, hey, that makes it feel all the more better. And pretty soon you start to realize that, hey, this anger thing, this works. This gets things done. You know, all this business of reasoning and talking to people about stuff, forget that, that gets you nowhere. Let's just use anger and that'll get things done. Do you see how addictive that can be? Do you see what a problem that can become? That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 19, he warns that whatever overcomes a person... To that he is enslaved. In other words, if you allow yourself to be overcome with anger, then don't be surprised if you become addicted to it. If you become enslaved to it, you become an anger addict. And that is especially dangerous whenever you consider this second fact. And that is that anger often has a tendency to escalate. According to a 2019 report issued by the Kentucky State Police, there were nearly 30,000 cases of domestic violence against women that were investigated in the Commonwealth. And you know how all of those cases began, don't you? None of those cases began with a husband just coming home one night entirely out of the blue, completely unprovoked, never happened before and he just starts beating and hammering his wife. No, that's not how that happens. You know how all those cases begin, don't you? What happens? What happens is at first there's a disagreement. And that disagreement leads to shouting. And before you know it, there's shouting and then there's screaming. And then when the shouting and the screaming doesn't seem to be producing any kind of results, they're shouting and screaming and cursing. Then when all the vocal, verbalizing sorts of things, the shouting and the screaming and the cursing, when that doesn't seem to really be getting anything done, then they're shouting and screaming and cursing and punching the hole in the wall. Yeah, I'll punch a hole in the wall. That'll show her. And then, of course, when that doesn't get the job done, they're shouting, they're screaming, they're cursing, they're punching a hole in the wall, and then you've got to take it up to the next level. There's throwing a chair, or they're smashing the table, and then what's next? grabbing, shoving, and then hitting. Can I just say right here very candidly to our men, men, no man of God, and I don't care what a woman says or what a woman does, no man of God will ever lay their hands on a woman. That's just unconscionable. But when we use anger to get our way, we're always having to continually ratchet up and ratchet up and ratchet up the intensity level. In fact, after a while, what some men find is that when beating doesn't get the job done, they resort to, hmm, they resort to murder. In the United States, every year more than a thousand women are murdered by their husband or by their boyfriend. Would you look with me in the book of Proverbs, please? In Proverbs chapter 17, the wise man cautions about what often begins in anger how that often ends in disaster. In Proverbs 17, this is verse 14. In Proverbs 17 verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. you understand that metaphor? What we begin in anger cannot be gathered back up because we're increasingly having to turn up the intensity level another notch. Solomon says we need to quit before the levee breaks entirely. We need to remember that anger has a tendency to escalate and to take us further than we ever intended to go. Which is really key because not only do we need to remember that, we need to remember thirdly that anger often produces collateral damage. Do you know what I mean when I say collateral damage? This makes me often think about our military and our military weapons. We have some incredible weapons today that are able to send a rocket through an office window miles away. Or it can fly a bomb down a chimney and it can hit its target with pinpoint accuracy. But you know what? Even as good as our high-tech weaponry is, what seems to always happen whenever we unleash those explosions? Yeah, there's always going to be innocent civilians. There's always going to be people who happen to just be passing by or they're standing too close to the target and what happens? What happens is is they get hurt. They didn't do anything wrong. They weren't a combatant in in the fight that was going on there. They really didn't have anything to do with it, but the end result was they got hurt. That's collateral damage. Have you ever seen a couple yelling at each other, maybe in a public place? Maybe been in a store or been in a restaurant. Here's a husband and a wife just fussing and screaming at each other. And they're just going at it tooth and nail. And who's watching them while they're doing that? Little kids. Those little kids are watching their mom and they're watching their dad tear into each other. They're watching dad just blow his stack. They're watching mom lose her temper. And as they're watching all of that, what are they learning? Well, first of all, they're learning that marriage is terrible. Who wants to get married if it's going to just breed this? And furthermore, what they're learning is that, you know what? If you're a man, this is how you handle your wife. And if you're a woman, this is what you say to your husband. They're learning. They're being damaged by that. Would you look with me in Galatians chapter 6? In Galatians chapter 6, I want you to think about the application of this spiritual law. This is one of God's spiritual laws. It's just an absolute truth. In Galatians chapter 6, and I want you to think about how this applies specifically in a family setting. In Galatians chapter 6, this is verse number 7. Galatians 6 and verse 7, Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I want you to listen to me right now. What we plant in anger, what we sow in fury, we cannot expect to somehow then at the end of that, reap a happy harvest of joy and gladness in our families and in our homes or in any other human relationship. It doesn't work that way. As one writer noted, those who use anger as a tool they can be very successful by the world's standards, but they will always leave behind them a trail of tears. And that's exactly right. There's going to be others that are hurt and damaged by anger that goes unchecked. Maybe what we need to remember the most about anger is this fourth fact, and that is that anger, for the Christian, anger is going to stunt your growth and your development as a child of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, what is the summation of Christianity? Somebody would maybe say, well, it's going to church and reading your Bible and praying three times a day. No, 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 no. I'm talking about what is the very heart and the soul of Christianity. What is the very core purpose of being a Christian? I can answer that for you in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, this is one of several passages in the New Testament that sets this principle before us. In 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 6, John tells us that this is what it means to be a Christian. In 1 John 2 and in verse 6, John writes there, 1 John 2 verse 6, he says there, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, verse 6 now, That whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Did you catch that there? Being a Christian means that I'm going to be like Jesus. That's what that verse just said. That I'm going to walk like Jesus walked. That I'm going to act, I'm going to talk, and I'm going to think like Jesus did. What then do we know about Jesus and His temperament? If you were to just kind of sum up the life of Jesus and His emotions and His temperament, what would you say is the concluding thought about Jesus' temperament? Certainly there were times in the life of Jesus when He got angry. There are moments when He was upset and we'll look at those here in just a couple of moments. But can I ask you, even though Jesus did get upset at times, was Jesus just known for His anger? Is that kind of the concluding, go-away thought that people had when they encountered Jesus? Has anyone ever read the New Testament and at the end of that said, Oh yeah, Jesus, the Bobby Knight of the Gospels. Yeah, that's exactly who that guy is. No, of course not. Jesus wasn't known for bullying people or intimidating others with His temper or carrying around a big chip on His shoulder all of the time. No, Jesus lived in His life the very words of Scripture that warn against anger. You know the verses I'm talking about, don't you? It would be verses like the passage we started with in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, about being slow to anger, having a slow fuse. That verse about the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Of course, Jesus understood that principle in His life. Or what about that verse in Ephesians chapter 4? That's a well-known passage about anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, I like this passage because Paul makes it clear that not all anger is sin, but that anger can indeed lead to sin. In Ephesians 4, this is verse 26, Ephesians 4, 26, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Those are the kinds of passages and teachings that Jesus lived and modeled in His life. And according to 1 John 2 verse 6, we are now called to walk in His footsteps, to live as He lived. And certainly we can stand back and make a bunch of lame excuses about why we're not doing that. We can talk about our anger issues and we can say, well, that's just the way that I am. That's the way that I was born. That's the family I grew up in. Everybody just had a hot temper. You know, it's the red hair, don't you know? I'm Irish and blame it on things like that. But the bottom line is, the longer we do that, then the longer we're never going to develop the character of Christ and the longer it is that we're never going to truly walk like He walked if we're always pushing the anger button. And so somebody then says, Okay, Josh, well... Well, what do I do with anger? I experience anger. All of us experience it at some point or another. What do I do with it? How can I get a grip on this monster? Should I hold my breath? Should I count to ten? Should I go home and kick the cat? No, don't do that. That would be very bad. Don't kick the cat. What do I need to do with anger? Well, in these last couple of minutes, let me just share with you some practical ideas from the Bible that I think will help you and help me to get a check on anger. And that all just starts by just asking the question of why. I need to figure out why I'm angry in the first place. What exactly is causing this? Would you look with me in John chapter 2, please? In John chapter 2, here's one of those accounts of Jesus being angry. Let's just see what we can learn from that incident. In John chapter 2, this story begins in verse 13. In John chapter 2 and in verse 13, we're told that the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers were sitting there. And so verse 15, making a whip of cords, He drove them all out of the temple with the coins of the money changers and He overturned their tables. And He told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my Father's house a house of trade. And then His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You know, sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to say that Jesus was angry here. People say things like, oh, Jesus wasn't angry. No, No, he was just experiencing righteous indignation. And that seems like a very politically correct thing to say, but i got to tell you, I don't have any problem just saying what the text is saying. And that is that Jesus was angry. He was hot. He was mad. Why? Because these people were involved in sin. These people had desecrated the temple of God. They had made it impossible for other people to come and to worship and to enjoy the worship of Almighty God. How are you supposed to pray when you've got the sounds of the barnyard all around you? How are you supposed to focus on the Lord when there's livestock right next to you while you're trying to worship God? These folks, these money changers, these religious leaders, they were hindering people's ability to worship God and Jesus said, this is wrong. I'm fixing this problem right now. Jesus was angry, but I want you to see that Jesus was angry about sin. That's the key here. This was a sinful situation and it required strong action to correct that Sin. His anger is focused and directed at sin. And so whenever I get angry, I need to ask myself, just what exactly am I angry about? Am I angry because there is serious injustice going on? I do think that at the core issue what's going on in America right now, that that does seem to be the initiating part of the anger. That there is seem to be some injustice going on in our world towards specific segments of our society." Am I angry about that? Or is it possible that I'm just freaking out because, well, because my kids' baseball game got canceled this season because of coronavirus, and now I'm all upset about that? I got to tell you, there's a big difference in those two issues. Am I angry because of wickedness and evil that is going on around me? Or am I angry simply because I didn't get my way? Because people are not fulfilling my goals and my agenda. People do not seem to understand that I am the center of the universe and people should be jumping up and down at my word. Am I angry like Jesus was? Where I'm using that energy and that emotion to channel and to target and to rebuke sin? Or am I more angry like the way that King Ahab was in 1 Kings chapter 21? Whenever Naboth wouldn't sell Ahab his vineyard? And the Bible then says that Ahab turned his face toward the wall and pouted. Are you kidding me? Pouting, tantrums, sulking, bitterness, those kinds of things are probably pretty good indicators that what I'm angry about is not righteous. And in fact, if I continue to hold on to that anger, it's not going to lead anywhere good. I need to ask, why am I angry? I would suggest to you, secondly, that in that same vein, we also need to do some thinking about what we expect from others. We need to set reasonable expectations of other people. Can I ask you about your expectations of other people? Since other people do tend to to be the thing that causes us to get angry a lot of times. What do you expect out of people? Do you expect everybody to just do the right thing and to just be perfect all of the time? Do you expect non-Christians to act like Christians do? Do you expect immature, weak Christians to act like mature and strong Christians? What do you expect? What kinds of expectations are you pressing upon other people? As you're thinking about that, would you find Psalm 103 with me, please? In Psalm 103, this is a very helpful passage because it speaks about how God sees us. And I want you to think about how you see other people and what you expect out of other people as we read this passage and what it says about what God sees when He looks at us. In Psalm 103, would you read with me in verse 13? Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We are just dust. That is all that we are. And the psalmist says that the Lord, He takes that into account in the same way that a father maybe kind of bends to his child to show compassion to his child. God in that same way bends to us. He's mindful of us. He takes that into account in His dealings with us. And that's something that we need to take into account whenever we deal with other members of the human race. That maybe I would do a little bit better with my anger if I remembered that nobody else is perfect, including me. That we are all just dust. That maybe I wouldn't be angry so much if I didn't expect and demand so much out of everybody, especially since I don't want or expect everybody to anticipate perfection out of me. And maybe I should say something here thirdly about just getting a little bit of perspective in times of anger. That it's important for us to think a little, bit, a little bit bigger than what we do, than the heat of the moment. We need to think big picture. Would you look with me in Mark chapter 3? In Mark 3, here is another occasion in the life of Jesus where we're actually told specifically that Jesus got angry. In Mark 3, this is the account of Jesus in the synagogue. And there's the man that shows up who has the withered hand. And the people there are anxious to see what Jesus is going to do. And so in Mark 3, beginning in verse 1, again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. That's the religious leaders of the day. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, saying, Jesus now speaking to the religious leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. Verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus is angered over their sin, their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Look at verse 6 now. The Pharisees then went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What's going on here? What's going on here is the Pharisees are more concerned here about their man-made rules, the various rules they had constructed about the Sabbath day. They're concerned more about that than they are this poor, suffering man. They cannot even delight in the fact that this man has been healed That he has been made well. Instead, they are grumpy. Verse 6 says that they left trying to figure out how to destroy Jesus. That indicates to me that they got mad. They're grumpy, they're grouchy, they're irritated. And why? Because Jesus didn't do things the way that they wanted him to do it. Now can I just say right now, if that describes you, if you are the kind of person who's going to make a mountain out of every molehill that you encounter... If you're going to get upset every time somebody doesn't do things exactly the way that you want them to be done, then you're going to spend an awful lot of your time being upset and being unhappy. You know, lots of people recommend that whenever you get angry, that it's a good practice to count to ten. Yeah, that, that might be okay. But you know, while you're doing that counting, you probably ought to do some thinking and get yourself some much-needed perspective on things. Just ask yourself, how big of a deal is this? Is this really that big of a deal? In the big picture, in the grand scheme of things, is this really worth my time and my energy and these emotions? Somebody jumped in front of me in the checkout line at Walmart. Well, so what? I went to the grocery store at Kroger and they were out of my favorite flavor of ice cream. Well, so what? The song leader today at church, he sang the one song in that whole big old songbook that I just absolutely cannot stand. Well, so what? Is the world going to end because of any of those things? Just think about it. If you had to stand next to somebody from a third world country, As you complain to them about the guy who cut you off in traffic, can you believe that? Would you just not feel stupid saying that to a person that was in that kind of situation? Somebody who doesn't even get to eat real regularly? If you were seated next to someone who had just lost a loved one in some kind of a terrible accident and you just start going on and on about how you just can't believe that the store was out of your favorite flavor of ice cream Wouldn't you feel about this small? Wouldn't you just feel ridiculous? i got to tell you, in the last couple of weeks, this point has really been impressed upon me. As I've looked at what I believe in many cases is genuine hurt that is going on in our culture. And even here on a more local level, a dear sister in this own, our very own congregation here at Lakeside, just in the past seven days, found out that she has cancer that has spread to her brain and to her spine and she is in a terrible situation physically. And I have then thought back in the last couple of weeks about things that have irritated me and how I've let out that anger on others. I've gotten upset at my brothers and my sisters in Christ over such small, petty, inconsequential things. And I am ashamed of that. And I am sorry for that. And I want your forgiveness. And I want God's forgiveness for that. That is not thinking big picture. Would you look with me in the book of Proverbs please again. In Proverbs chapter 19, listen to what the wise man says in verse 11. In Proverbs 19 and in verse 11, he says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. And the wise words of those Disney princesses, let it go. You've got to just learn to let it go. Yes, life does have some annoying people and some annoying situations from time to time. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says those things and those people are not worth your anger. There are much more important things to focus and channel your energies on. Which leads me to this fourth and final suggestion this morning. And that is that if we're going to get a grip on anger, we need to make a concentrated effort to stay grounded in reality. And we need to make sure that we don't exaggerate the truth. Can I show you what I'm talking about from 2 Kings chapter 5? In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have here the story of Naaman the leper. In 2 Kings chapter 5, you know what's going on here. Naaman is afflicted with leprosy. And he wants to get healed. And so he's instructed to go to the house of Elisha the prophet. And when he receives the instructions from Elisha the prophet, unfortunately those instructions are nothing like he expected. It's not what he expected to be told at all. And so his reactions recorded for us in verse 11. 2 Kings 5 verse 11. But Naaman was angry and he went away. And why? Well, verse 11 goes on saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and he would stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and he would wave his hand over the place and he would cure my leprosy. Do you see it there? I thought. I thought. This is how I imagined that things were going to play out. I had this big dream-like scenario painted up in my mind and it turns out that Elisha wanted me to do something entirely different. I thought he was going to zig, but instead he zagged. And you know what? The fact that he didn't do it the way that I thought, that upsets me. I'm mad. Naaman had thought, he had exaggerated this fantasy in his mind, but since it was not based in reality, it only served to incite his anger. And you know, I think that happens to us too, especially when people don't do things the way that we wanted them to do those things. We say things and we think things like, I know. I know why they turned down that invitation to our house. It's because they think our house is too small. They're just snob. They're just too good to come to our house. That's why they did that. Or somebody else says, I'll tell you why that brother didn't answer my questions in Bible class. It's because he thinks I'm dumb. He thinks that what I asked was stupid. He's just trying to, to shut me down and to make me feel small. Or somebody else says, hey, did you see that guy cutting me off in traffic? Who does he think he is? That guy thinks he owns the road. We start telling ourselves all these stories. And all that does is it serves to fuel our anger even more. But like Naaman, oftentimes those stories that we tell ourselves, those stories are just wrong. You think about it. If you could stop the guy who did cut you off on the road and you were able to go up to him and you were able to say, Hey, buddy. You cut me off on the road back there. What are you doing there? Do you think you own the road or something? And imagine then if that guy responded by saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you. I just got a call that my son has been having seizures and he's been taken to the emergency room and I'm rushing to get there to be with him and to be with my wife. I'm so sorry that I didn't see you back there and I did cut you off. Oh oh, okay, Um, well, well, um, you go first. Do you see? Do you see how that often works out? That the stories that we tell ourselves oftentimes are not based in reality at all. And I do find it interesting that we always exaggerate and we assume the worst out of everybody else They're so mean. They don't like us. He thinks that I'm dumb. They have suspect motivations in the things that they're doing. But then when it is us, when the shoe's on the other foot, well, we want others to assume the absolute best out of us. How fair is that? What we need is we need to get our heads on straight and we need to stop feeding our anger with all kinds of stories and exaggerations and instead we need to just stay grounded in reality. Would you cue up one final passage, this time in Proverbs chapter 16? In Proverbs 16, I want to read a verse there in just a moment, but before I do, I actually actually want to tell a little parable to close this morning. Uh, This parable is not original with me. Maybe you've even heard this parable or some form of this parable before, but I think it conveys just a powerful and important truth about anger. The parable goes like this. Once there was a ferocious lion that was the terror of the jungle... Nearby villagers were scared to death of him. One day the villagers talked to a wise old owl into convincing the lion to stop chasing them and biting them and eating them. The owl talked with the lion and the lion agreed that he would no longer chase or bite or eat the villagers. At first the villagers were very cautious whenever they saw the lion in the jungle. They were still a little nervous. But when they realized that he was not going to chase or bite or eat them anymore, they stopped being afraid of the lion. After a while, they began to stick their tongues out at the lion. They began to make faces at him. Then they began to call the lion names. One villager even threw a rock at the lion while another villager beating with a stick. One day the wise old owl came to visit the lion to see how he was doing and he found the lion in his cave bruised, battered, and all beaten up. What happened? asked the owl. And the lion then told him the sad story of the things that the villagers were doing to him. Then with exasperation in his voice, the owl said, I told you not to chase or bite or eat the villagers, but I never told you not to roar. And you know what? I think there's an important truth in that story. Don't misunderstand me. No one is saying that we are to just be weak or that we're to just let people walk all over us or that we ought to just cower to all of the terrible things that people do and throw our way. As that story illustrates, there is a time to roar. There is a time when anger is justified and it is even necessary. We want to be strong. We want to be courageous and we want to stand on our convictions and what is right. But at the same time, we do not want to allow our emotions to get carried away so that we are chasing and biting and devouring just because we can. Instead, God in His Word pleads with us to be extremely careful with anger. Do you have Proverbs 16 queued up? I'll put it up right now on the screen. In Proverbs 16 and in verse 32, The wise man says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. That is the challenge for us today, isn't it? That whenever we do start to see red, that we would be men and women and young men and young women who can rule our spirit. Would you pray with me please? Let's pray about that. Our dear, gracious God, and our Father in heaven, Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word, and we're thankful for its candor and its honesty about anger. Father, we are thankful for the example of Your, sh- of your Son who, who shows us when it is right and when it is proper to be angry. And we ask, Father, for forgiveness whenever we have used our emotions for our own selfish purposes and when we have allowed it to control us. Father, we ask that You bless Your Word in our hearts, that we might take the truths that we've studied this morning and that we might implement them into our daily lives. Father, grant us wisdom that we would know when anger is right and that we would know when it is wrong. Help us to develop self-control so that we can rule our spirit. These blessings and these favors we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. And amen.